Chow chow, everybody, and welcome to Jalo Chow Chow, episode 29. 29. 29 shows in the making. Wow. 29. That's the, bad. It's the only Jalo podcast in color. Just so you know. Yeah. When did that happen? When yeah. Technicolor hit. You know, you know what? Um, it's the only Jalo podcast. End of sentence. To be honest, we, we need to quit telling people that. Yeah, I feel like there's got to be a couple by now. Yeah. No, I think what it is is a lot of the film geek podcast type um, groups will do a Jalo episode, but they're not yeah. diehards like we are. Because if yeah. another Jalo show pops up, I'm going to have to move to. Um, Kung Fu porn. There you go. Do a show about that. Well, we could do uh, a crimmy, crimmy, or. Uh, or I'm, I'm, I'm very genre specific. So Kung Fu porn is like exactly right below Giallo. No, it's just niche. it's a niche that I don't think many people are gonna go start a show about. <clears throat> Pat pending. Pat okay. pending. I'm ready. All right. All right. Um, By the so way, yeah. um, our friend yes. Al from uh, Italy sent me a, an awesome um, message. You, you thought I was going somewhere else, didn't you? <laughs> sent me an awesome message the other day telling me how to uh, properly pronounce the police uh, crime thrillers. And I'm going to try it. It's... Poliziets... No, shit. Let me try it again. Uh, it has way too many Poli- syllables. Poli- You've been practicing. Polizietsko. 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 Policetsko. Policetsko. And then the other one is Policiotesco. And Policiotesco. He, like, he even sent me, like, he did all caps where the emphasis is supposed to be. So it's Pol Eats Yes Co. And if you say that all together, it's Policesco. Policesco. Or Policesco. I really Polici- don't need to have that horrible accent. So we could do one of those too. We could do a Policiotesco podcast. 
let's figure out how to say it properly. <laughs> and then we could do it. No, just keep going until you get it right. Policiotesco. Policiotesco. People are fast-forwarding like two hours ahead. Is, right is there a way that either one of us could say that without trying to get a really bad accent going? Like, can you just say it? Like, you know how we say Jallo? Like, we just said it with no Policio Tesco. Policio Tesco. I'm still doing it. Policio Tesco. Ah, fucking... <clears throat> Sorry, I apologize. <laughs> Sorry, Al. Policio Tesco. <laughs> I'm basically saying Policio and Tesco. Right, like Tesco would be from the Meat Men. Yeah, anybody hopefully know, that any, works. Anybody know that guy? Uh, Sounds like a delicious pizza. Yeah, it does. It's like DiGiorno. <laughs> not bad, nah. Probably saying that wrong, too. Yeah, not bad, nah. Um, I have a, another message here. It says, Ciao. Just want to congratulate you and the guys for producing a podcast show that's a joy to listen to and making my commute during rush hour to and from work more palatable. The Detective Timson Thompson impressions from episode 22 oh. are still hilarious to listen to. If possible, I would like to recommend Jalo a Venezia. I think that's Jalo in Venice, right? Boy. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Every, everybody's been talking. still among us or so yes. sweet and so dead for your show ciao that is from Marcus Daly huh everybody's been talking lately about um, did that just pop up on the Facebook wall yeah Jalo and Venice. Who, that from? who wrote in to say that um somebody wrote in asking what were the sleaziest trashiest Jalos ever made and everybody kind of agreed that it was Jalo and Venice so I think we need to head down that road. Well, I also said the bloodsucker leads the dance or whatever that one's called. Mm -hmm. And I think it fell on deaf ears. No, yeah, I thought, you killed I thought, that one. I thought somebody else mentioned that too. Or maybe it was Oh, you. did they? I haven't checked since I wrote that. So <clears throat> I'm, a, I'm a bad, bad boy. Uh, but yeah, so if you... I'm sorry, I think I talked over the road. What's that? Did you, did you say his name? No. Were you talking No, to I, was me? About to, I was about to yeah, say... Yeah, yeah, you creep. Oh, sorry. That's from Marcus. Email? Marcus, all right. Um, Thanks, Marcus. I will say that the technical stuff is sounding worse and worse. So... Apologies if there's some delay on the show. Um, and then, was there any other um, fun chat in the Facebook group? No, but I really think that uh, once we get past this um, group of three, that we should do um, requests. Because we've gotten a lot of them lately. So we'll do like a request thing. That sounds good. Because I know yeah, that. Yeah, put up a poll without us announcing it. That that could be a a poll without us. Yeah. Picking. Without our intervention. Yeah. <clears throat> that sounds like fun. Yeah, we'll do that. 
I think Al had a request, um, and we also had, um, what was the name of the gentleman who just wrote you, that you just read? Marcus. Was it So Sweet, So Dead? Mm, yes. Okay. <laughs> so Sweet, So Dead. Smiles. Yes. That was Al's request. <clears throat> and I've also had a couple people over the last couple months write in about um, Seven Bloodstained Orchids. Mm, okay. Perfect. So... There, there are quite a few movies that there are still for us to do, so oh. that makes me happy. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so we're talking about Jalo and Venice, and what was the request from the, the other letter that you just read? The Killer is Still Among Us. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah, James <clears throat> Monday on that perversity thread as well, so... Yeah, I like it trashy, so I'm all about it. Yeah, man. I think that's got to be a poll. That's a poll. That's a poll. How yeah. trashy this is. We could always just like. do Sister Versal again. <clears throat> you know what we should do? We should just like cut out the story parts of Sister Ursula and just talk about the trashy parts. We should just yes. do a whole podcast on ass eating. <laughs> <laughs> And there it goes. <laughs> and I wasn't the one to actually take us that far. Well, so you know, that's the only I thing. When I think myself. of Ursula, that's really the only thing that I think of anymore, other than the, the dildo weapon. Ooh, spoilers. So, the chicken skin man going to town on the back door. Yeah. <laughs> that is a strange Good movie. stuff. Well, um, besides uh, wrestling and football and snow, what else have you guys been up to? Well, I've kind of been uh, going on my own Giallo. I call it the Giallo Redemption Tour, and I posted a couple times on the Facebook group. Which is awesome, um, by the way. Yeah. It's, it's kind of in um, thinking about our how we're getting close to 30 films. And I think when we get to 31, that'll be the end of our next group of films. We're going to go and take, do another retrospective. And I wanted to give some of the films in my bottom five another look because I feel like I didn't really give them the chance because I saw them so early on. Now I've seen so many since then that I feel like those ones may actually be able to get moved up. So, um, you know, the Black Belly of the Tarantula got a big... Big bump for me in my list. Yeah, Kiss of the yeah, Bloody yeah. Iris also got a, a minor bump as well. Uh, I did enjoy it a lot more the second time around. I'll just say that without getting into a, a huge hubbub like what happened when a creep got involved. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. Who was that? Was that Mark telling, yeah. telling me where to stick it? No, <laughs> he didn't say anything like that. <laughs> Right. Uh, uh, Slaughter Hotel is next, next up on the tour. Ooh, you are a brave man. Yeah, I have a feeling that's going to stay right where it is for you. <laughs> well, <laughs> I got a better cut of it, I think, this time around, so that might help a little bit. Oh, yeah. yeah. It definitely will. Oh, yeah, because you had that wonky one, right? That's a bullshit one, yeah. Yeah, that was funny. You kept saying, I didn't have that. <laughs> what are you guys talking about? Yeah. I'm just going to go sit over here. Mm-hmm. That's the shit. 
Well, how many more movies are in your redemption tour? I think I'll be able to get maybe three or four more in before we get to that that retrospective show. Nice. I'm going to do Slaughter Hotel, uh, Fifth Chord, and um, maybe yeah, I guess those two, those are the two main ones that I need to give a re-look at because the Fifth Chord was also another weird one where it cut out before the end. Yeah. And I never went and saw about the ending of that one. So I'm going to check that one out again. And then maybe The Girl Who Knew Too Much. I know I was really hard on um, that one. You had a and then I, I was a little hard. I had a little hard on during The Girl Who Knew Too Much. Okay. Just <laughs> so make sure you said. <laughs> yeah, I need, to, <laughs> I need to clear my head and watch it again. Oh, boy, I just said clear my head. I was yeah. Like, well, and then... <laughs> Who saw her die will be the other one, I think, that I need to get in there. Might as well just mm. watch all of them again. Sounds like. I know. <laughs> and then I'll do it. No, I'm not going to watch No, but, um, if, like, I will say that there are some that, um, since we've done episodes on, that I actually probably like more since yep. they, So I totally can agree with you on that one. Yeah. It's kind of like a... Like drinking a J&B scotch, you know, it, it, it's an acquired taste. You got to drink it a couple times. Sure. Well, you like it. The more you're drinking it at the time, the better it tastes. That too. Right. <laughs> so that that works. Chris, you got any crazy stuff happening? No, no. I, well, I was just going to tell Eric that I'd be glad to um, furnish him with a, a decent cut of uh, fifth chord. So that you can really soak in how visually stunning the film is. Uh, yeah, I picked one up from Blue Underground. Oh, okay. We'll awesome. That's the that's oh, the that copy is, I have. That's a good one. Um, uh, no, you know we're just uh, we're we're supposed to get anywhere from two inches to four feet of snow, and um, if you watch the weather, they all kind of are. No, nobody seems to agree, but uh, everybody seems to be hyping it up as the storm of the millennium. So um, that's happening, uh, you know, it's, it's already started for me here on the East Coast. They, uh, the snow started falling uh, about an hour ago. It's supposed to go through the night all the way until, I think, um, late morning tomorrow. So we'll see what happens. Well, um, I distinctly remember saying no snow talk, but that's okay. Oh, you did say that. That's right. You said besides <laughs> snow talk. I forgot that you had even said that. See, I don't even pay attention. Um, well, it'll be interesting in like a month from now when people are finally getting shoveled out of their houses, they'll still be listening to us talk. So, yeah, it's good that we're there for them. Yeah, nothing, nothing major has been going on in the Jalo land for me. I've been uh, trying to um, just do all kinds of stuff, uh, not Jalo related, and um, I just started reading um, the first of the. Chronicles of Narnia to my son because we just finished um, Girl with the Crystal Pebus. Right. We read that um, <laughs> and we read uh, you know uh, <laughs> we went through uh, <laughs> I, don't have, I don't have a good retort for that. We went through it's kind of cool because this didn't I didn't really get to do this when I was a kid but you know we, we read the first Harry Potter book together right so I'm reading it to him and you know, we do a chapter or two, depending on how much time we have. And then when the book is done, we watch the movie. And as far as I'm concerned, the first Harry Potter movie is a pretty decent adaptation of the book. 
Um, and it's just so cool to see my son like know what's gonna happen next before it happens, because he's already remembers the book. So I've never seen the Narnia movies. Uh, I just remember reading the books when I was a kid in school. So um, yeah. that's kind of what we're up to. I've been trying to catch up on some of the films that are Oscar nominated. It's tough to get to the movies. Uh, I did see Boyhood, which I thought was great. Um, but I haven't seen any of the other ones yet. I'd like to see American Sniper. But uh, I, um, I haven't seen uh, really anything. I, I don't have anything to, to re report, honestly. <clears throat> Just a bunch of filler, you guys. To, to make you um, mad and jealous, because that's all I tend to do here. Um, my neighbor um, works for the some one of the award shows. So like, I think before Christmas, he started getting all the nominated movies on DVD. Right. And so we've just been watching them at home. It's you been have, quite nice. Do you have a favorite? No. <laughs> no. Does you know all the winners so they, I can go back to my Oscar betting pool and clean house? Are you saying that because so. they're all great or because you don't like any of them? Um, I don't know what it is about me right now. It might be my um, obtuse clinical depression, but... Um, I'm not really interested in movies that make me feel sadness of any kind at the moment. And, That's all the Academy um, Awards do. Yeah, pretty much. It's just a bunch of fucking movies that make you feel like shit. And I could do that pretty good on my own. I don't need a movie to help me feel like that. So, uh, Well, isn't that Grand Budapest Hotel supposed to be a comedy? Yeah, uh, it's a little lighter. Is it a little lighter? That's one I haven't seen yet. I still have yep. a stack. But um, it was funny because on, um, I can't remember what the day was. There was some day and we were supposed to do something with my daughter <clears throat> and then she wasn't feeling good or whatever, so we didn't go. And so we ended up getting um, uh, Box Trolls, Big Robot 6 or whatever it's fucking called. Big Hero and, 6. Uh, yeah. Big yeah. Hero 6. And then the one where it's like Day of the Dead. Um I don't fucking know what it is, but it's a bunch of sugar skulls and mariachi guys. Yeah. Does that ring a bell? I don't know. No, but we but watched I, all I, those in like one sitting. I did see Box and Trolls. And that was too emotional for me. <sighs> I watched Kids part of Box Trolls. There's something about that particular style of animation that doesn't sit well with me. I don't know what it is about it. It's like the, uh, the, the style of uh, Nightmare Before Christmas, I guess. Um, yeah, I don't. There's it's something that's kind of icky about it. I don't know why. Like, does it scare you? Did you used to think your toys would come to life and kill you when it, you slept? It's not scary. It's more of like a a, a grotesque kind of a of a reaction. Like it's just kind of like squirmy, kind of yucky, kind of feeling. I don't that's know why. That's very strange. Yeah, I don't know why. You should talk to someone about that. Yeah, I'm talking to you guys. Not us. Yeah. <laughs> We're not qualified. Sure. Yeah. Um, I, I used to think that my He-Man, when I was asleep, would grow into normal-sized He-Man people and kill me if I was mean to them during the day. So, like, if I had He-Man defeat Skeletor, 
I was certain that when I went to sleep, Skeletor would get all the dudes together and say, let's go kill that fucker for making us lose to He-Man. So I'd have to set my He-Man up like around my bed and stand them up with their weapons ready to go just in case oh. my toys came to life and tried to kill me. But then I was worried that He-Man might get mad at me for revealing that he's really Prince Adam to any of my family or friends, and so then I thought he might hurt me. So uh, it was just... It was very troublesome growing up. Skeletor told me he's still coming after you. Yeah, probably. He's going to find you. I made fun of his blue leotards. Did you have uh, man-y faces? Hell yeah, I did. (laughs) Love Manny faces. He's my favorite. Who doesn't? <laughs> um, but no, on um, stuff with me, little update for everyone who's dying to hear about it. Um, I finished the third season of Black Star Canyon. Yay. Yay. It was very stressful. And the full season comes out on Wednesday. But um, this next month is when more of the Shallow Jalo stuff's going to be coming out. So um, if any listener wants the first book, I'll send it to you for nothing. Just say that you want it and I'll send it to you. And then, um, because if not, you can just go to Amazon and buy it, which is fine too. I would enjoy that if you like to read Girl with the Crystal Pubis before Relapse of the Crystal Pubis comes out, which is a sequel. And um, But yeah, you could just go to the Chow Chow uh, contact form and say that you want it, and I'll send it to you. So, yay. Hooray. I'll endorse it. Yeah. Oh, and I did get a review on it from one of the listeners of the show because they mentioned the show and the review, and it was a really good review. And um, off the top of my head, I can't remember who sent it. I think it was Craig something, if I recall. But it was a really, really awesome review, and thank you so much. It was really good. Thank you. All right. Yay. That's all the plugging I'm going to do. You sure? Until next time. Yeah. So, are we ready to do this? Let's do it. I think let's do it. This is what the people came for. All I heard is that the people came. So, we're going to try something brand spanking new on this show. We are? Chris is going to actually play the trailer for us to listen to. You're putting me on the Is that actually happening, or was that just something we talked about? No, I can do it. Let's try it. Hang on. Okay, so just... we have no idea how this will work, but here's the trailer. Here's the trailer for Blood and Black Lace. A house of high fashion, a dazzling whirl of elegance, of exotic, extravagant beauties. An adventurous journey into the devastating allure of the most sophisticated women and their intimate secrets. Suddenly, these lace curtains ignite a drama that will lacerate your emotions. Blood and black lace. (coughs) Who is this shrouded, sadistic, sordid fiend who maims and murders? Why this bloodthirsty orgy, this holocaust of lives? in bleeding color. Shattering, shivering, shocking experience.
blood and black lace. And there you have it. That's nice. I hope that worked. Well, I think the levels were a little low, but I will uh, go in and, and bump them up because nobody talked during it, so should be fine. Nice. Um, we're all enthralled. I was. I enjoy it when a woman's talking and then a man comes in and goes suddenly <laughs> and then starts saying stuff. Suddenly always captures my attention because you talking know about the Holocaust of lives. <laughs> Yes, when someone says suddenly, all that happens and makes you listen. Mm. Actually, I might have actually passed out a little bit after you said suddenly because I was so gasping in shock. <laughs> but here is, oxygen. yeah, here is the story for Blood and Black Lace. Um, and let me ask you guys a question. You know how it's Christian hot couture and it's like the same way they say um, high tension. They call it hot tension or whatever okay. that word. Does anyone yes. know what the fuck I'm saying? Okay. Yep. How do you pronounce that? Is it hot or hate? I'm sure it's pronounced in a way that American tongues can't really wrap around, but the closest I can get to is hot. Hot. Yeah. Okay. It means high. Yeah. So bear with me, people. The Christian Hout Couture Fashion House in Rome is run by manager Max Morlin in partnership with its recently widowed owner, Countess Christina Como, whose husband has been killed in a car accident. One stormy night, model Isabel is murdered in the grounds of the fashion house and her body dumped in a wardrobe. Inspector Sylvester is on the case and discovers that the world of high fashion conceals a tangled web of narcotics, infidelity, murder, and blackmail. Sylvester's list of suspects includes Morlin and his employees, uh, Marco, who is an epileptic, and ratty dress designer Cesar Lazar, plus cocaine-using antiques dealer Frank Scallo and debt-ridden Richard Morell, both of whom are dating models. Searching through Isabella's belongings, Scallo's girlfriend, Nicole, finds Isabella's diary which causes considerable unease at the salon as everyone seems to have something to hide. Soon afterwards, Nicole is murdered by a masked killer with a taloned gauntlet in Scallo's antique shop. But the diary is nowhere to be found. Another model, Peggy, has stolen it, but she's attacked by the killer in her home and kidnapped. Held hostage in a basement, she's tortured against a red-hot stove. But she has already burned the journal. All the key male suspects are arrested. But when Greta is smothered with a cushion at the Rule Farm, Sylvester has no choice but to release them. They all have perfect, bulletproof alibis. Sure, it's the work of a homicidal sex maniac. The police continue their investigation as another model, 
Taolin is drowned in her bath in a killing that's made to look like suicide. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and suddenly, I'm done. So I was... Suddenly. <laughs> I was reading that from a really good book called um, Mario Bava Destination Terror. Um Ooh. Which is a really good book. There's a lot of really good books that everyone should be reading or have read or will read in the future. But um, I can't stress enough, um, like, that book we've talked about on the show in the past, La Dolce Morte, Mm -hmm. is amazing. Um, uh, Mario Bava, All the Colors of the Dark by Tim Lucas. Um, I'm sure I'll quote that a couple times. It's a very expensive book, might I add. But um, And then This Destination Terrors. This book's great. It's a little more condensed. But um, the Tim Lucas book's fucking ridiculous. All the information that's in that. <clears throat> but anyway, so that's the, the basic story. And actually the first hour and 20 minutes of the movie. Um, yes. But I, but I read it well. You did. You did. <laughs> you could you could take over for the trailer voice guy. Yeah. Suddenly. I can. Suddenly. <clears throat> um, the perverse. So yeah. um, let's, I guess, talk a little bit about this movie. So um, the movie is beautiful. It's. The one of the things about this movie that makes it unique, um, it, it's not that it was the first Technicolor like horror movie or anything like that, but there's something about it that makes it feel very cutting edge and very ahead of its time, um, especially when you look at uh, a lot of the other movies that were coming out around the same period. Um, a lot of people who were using Technicolor for more thriller genre type films <clears throat> weren't amping the colors up as much as Baba did in this movie, which just cranks it. And when you see it, or if you have seen it, you know what I mean, where the color is amped so much that um, it just makes everything look very lush and almost surreal, gorgeous. <clears throat> which yeah. makes the murders all the more bizarre because they're so beautifully done and they're shot so beautifully um, that it makes it really, really <clears throat> almost you feel bad for thinking it's so gorgeous because some chick just got her face fucking ripped off or something. <laughs> right. So, um, but to, let's talk about the actual movie here. Um, Eric, what did you think of this film? Yeah, I'd like to kind of just go real bit quickly back to that, that color sequence you're talking about. It was almost like they were using contrasting colors a lot just to amp it up and, and get you to notice it even that much more. There's a lot of like purple and green together. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed that. And yeah, for 1964, you kind of forget that this is when that this film was made because they just they really there's there's parts where the colors are kind of dull. You can tell they're still getting used to that with film anyway. And so that's it's just interesting to watch. But yeah, this is, I kind of have a little love affair with this movie. It was the one that deflowered me. So 
Ooh. I have a, a special attachment to it. <laughs> it's the, yeah, I watched it um, when I was going through my century-long trek through the, the horror genre, so um, kind of going in and out different subgenres here and there, and I ended up that when I got to the 60s and 70s, Giallo would kind of take over quite a bit, and so this is the very first one when I got to, and a lot of people do kind of credit it as being one of the first Gialli films. And I do have to say, it, it really stood out to me, it really impacted me, and I really enjoyed a lot about it. Um, I talked a little bit about, in, in my little mini review of the case of the, the Bloody Iris, how there's a lot of intentional misdirection and the red herrings are just kind of thrown at you. Um, I do admit that the movie is a lot of fun. It's a lot of stuff, good stuff to look at, but it's just kind of hard to follow, whereas in this one, I really thought that there were a lot of these red herrings like you were talking about in the synopsis, naming off all those different people. But it really, it just made a lot of sense to me who they were, what roles they were playing. And I thought that they all had some pretty believable accusations uh, against each other and against, you know, one another and and all the outside people as well. So the only thing, the only thing I wanted to ask you guys about was this is... I know it's not the first film to have a, a killer wearing a mask, but it just seemed kind of, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think of this out of the the context of, you know, we've seen so many films with masked killers and what it would be like for someone in 1964 to see a thriller. Usually they're kind of hidden in the shadows, but you get a glimpse of a face, some kind of a personality. Whereas here it was just this blank canvas. And I was wondering if, you know, that was just kind of a happy accident for Bava and the, the production crew or if you guys think that that was kind of really more intentional and, and determined that's what they were going to do when they set out to make this film. <clears throat> well, I'm not 100% on this. I'd have to look, but I'm pretty sure that um, the Krimis were already doing uh, <clears throat> a stocking face killer in, their, in those movies, but they were black and white movies, so it was. I don't think you had the same pop. Yeah. Okay. That's a good point. Yeah, I, just uh, I just really enjoyed the costume, the the long black trench coat, the black gloves, and thought he kind of looked a little funny when he was in the car trying to shut off the <laughs> alarm, and he he reversed that car really really quickly and really expertly for having the sock over his head. Well, the thing but, that trips me out about it is that I feel like if if this wasn't because like when you watch this movie you you notice how just the normal scenes aren't really shot that great if there's just like a room of people talking it's really like bland and whatever but when shit's hitting the fan and there's the murderers coming in all of a sudden it's like super stylized and awesome and I wonder if if this movie wasn't shot as well as it was when the killer was coming into the frame and all that other stuff, if that look would have caught on. Yeah, that's a good point too. Yeah, Baba's just, just me out. Yeah, he's he's so good with his camera movement, even with um, the low budget that he has. And I hear you know putting cameras on children's wagons, moving yeah. them around. Um, he just he does it so well during those moments. I, but I know what you're saying, where the rest of it's kind of stock and just drab yeah but yeah this another thing about this was it was 
when I first saw this film, it was before I'd even seen like a Black Sunday or Black Sabbath. Um, watching it with those films now under my belt, it was a whole different experience as well. Um, the dark corridors and the the cobwebs, even the beginning with the storm happening at the uh, the what what did you call that place? The the hot couture. Hot couture. <laughs> But, yeah, the opening of the... this movie is amazing. It's yeah. just yeah. gorgeous. <clears throat> Everything from when the, the the sign falls and you see the fountain in the background, and then the house mm-hmm. behind that, and the sign swinging in and out. It just it's so great. And when that chick Isabel is walking down that pathway, and it's lit up from the back, and she's wearing a fucking bright ass red raincoat. Yep. Yeah. Oh my god, that scene is just unreal it's just it's beautiful yeah yeah like you can just see the gothic and the the hammer uh influence on these films and even, and even the, the uh, oh go ahead i'm just, I was just gonna say one last thing the the <laughs> way that the, the killer killed the people with the, kind of that medieval cruelty and yeah. very violent it was just yeah even something... the, the like bookcase in the office that moves to the side to be a secret panel and then walks down this like giant staircase down to this like weird basement dungeon it's so old hammer and old bava you know it's really oh it's just neat it's pretty yeah for the first time you get to really see the him working with colors in those kind of scenes so he's going down you know the old ancient stone archways and it's still all purple and yeah just I loved watching just experiencing this film um what did you guys think of the title sequence hello okay are you there <laughs> I'm here I'm here the title okay. sequence was cool it, it's uh I think it may be something that uh, I forget that it's me- <laughs> this is, sounds stupid. I forget that it's memorable. That's dumb. Uh, it's memorable when you're watching it, but then the movie is just so overwhelmingly fantastic to look at that you forget how cool the opening sequence is. With you know, basically, it's what I was going to say before we even get into the the opening credits. What, what I was going to say is that um, it just seems like Bava with this movie. there's a lot of I I feel like there's a lot of Hitchcock influence in this movie Um, from a technical standpoint it seems like Bava was not interested in doing a lot of cuts and a lot of editing um, unless he had to unless there was like a lot of action going on it seems like um, a lot of the scenes were orchestrated and 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 scripted out as if they were um, on a stage as opposed to being filmed for uh, ultimately for post-production so um, and that kind of goes along with what you see in the beginning with the opening credits it's like all of the all of the characters and all the players quote-unquote in the in the movie are kind of presented um, you know it's either you know most of these introductions to Jalos is some kind of um, car driving in a in an area where you can see like the cityscape or the landscape or what have you or maybe one of the main characters is walking but with this one it's like okay here's 
here's this person and this person and this person. They're all just standing there kind of, you know, presenting themselves to the audience as if, you know, they're doing a curtain call almost before the beginning of the uh, movie starts. And yeah. um, I just found that to be, to be something that I noticed this time around, even though, you know, to be honest, I didn't actually get through the entire movie uh, prior to this uh, podcast, even though, I mean, I've, I've watched it several times, but uh, I, it's not fresh in my mind because I haven't watched the whole thing recently, but um, it's playing in the background now, so I'm watching it, but um, I, I was just, you know, we're talking about Bava and just in general, we're talking about style, and one of the things that I think I notice a lot about Bava and the way that he just decorates, I, I don't know what it is about Bava and his sets and his camera and his lenses, but just the combination of the way that the set is constructed and the way that it's lit and the way that he decides what angles to shoot at, a lot of these scenes almost look like they're three-dimensional. And you don't yeah. you don't have glasses on. It's like some of the stuff just it just jumps right off the screen at you. And you're like, wow, this is just unbelievable. And I've never seen, even with Argento, I've never seen another director because um, I know that Baba did a lot of his own um, cinematography right so um, I've never seen any other there, it's unmistakable Mario Baba when you see it it's almost like you kind of know when you're watching the Argento films of the the heyday of Argento that that's what you're watching um, when you start to watch some of the newer Argentos it's, it's kind of hard to see the the old masterful works uh, from the 70s, but with Bava, it's like every time you watch something that Bava has put together, it's unmistakable for some reason. And again, that's what reminds me of Hitchcock, because Hitchcock has that same kind of visual signature uh, that's hard to like reproduce and it's unmistakable. Um, but you know, this film is, uh, there's, there's, I guess you could say that the bar was set really, really high for, for Jolly and, um, you know, you don't really truly appreciate how advanced this movie was for the genre until you go back and watch the movies that came like eight years later, nine years later, um, and realize that, you know, that this movie, you know, it didn't, it certainly didn't fall into the top level of scoring points as far as we're concerned on the Jallo score anyway with um, all of the different tropes of, of the genre, but uh, it's such an effective movie and it's... It's something that, uh, it's a movie that, you, that, you know, it, it kind of goes against the convention where people, you know, were, were going to watch these movies in the early 70s and kind of watch them haphazardly. They didn't really pay attention to a lot of the scenes, and that's why some of the scenes in, in Later Jolly are a little bit on the boring side, but this isn't like that. I mean, you've got, you know, it's 1964, is it? Or, you know, it's it's so far ahead of its time. Um, probably more, even more so than Girl Who Knew Too Much, because Girl Who Knew Too Much is more of a thriller and more of a Hitchcock yeah. kind of a homage or ripoff, depending on if you like Mario Bava or if you don't, um, which which word you would use. But um, this one, this film is like it, it just. It, I don't say I don't think it's my favorite uh, Jolly of all time, but it's probably the best one ever made. Like, you know, it's it's in it's in the probably the top five of the best the best uh, films of the genre. I would say. 
Um, but, but I, maybe not your favorite top not ne- five. Not necessarily that, my favorite Jalo, but it, it's yeah. It's such a, it's such a fun movie and such a um, visually stunning movie that it, it's almost impossible to to leave it out of any top five really. Well, um, one thing to kind of go back to about his um, the way he composes his shots and stuff. He's a big like believer in the foreground, midground, background setup where like you have like your main focus in the in the center of the shot or whatever, but you always have to have something big in the foreground that you're almost shooting through or shooting around and then have something deep in the background <clears throat> to make it look three dimensional kind of thing right. to make it look like there's a lot of depth. Right. And you don't get that so much now from uh, a lot of like newer filmmakers, but Hitchcock was a big one on this. Roger Corman was huge. That was like when he would just produce stuff, that was basically his only thing he would tell his directors, make sure there's stuff in the foreground and make sure when people are, make sure when people are talking, they're always moving. Like, those were his, like, two rules when he would, like, hire his directors or whatever. But um, Bava totally kills that in this. And, like, from that first shot, the sign falls and swings in the the foreground. We're looking at the fountain. The house is in the background. And the whole movie just kind of takes that and goes from there. And it's just, it's beautiful. Like, there's so many aspects of this movie that if you're, like, a aspiring filmmaker, like, this is, like, the master class. Like, watch yeah, this movie. Definitely. And start seeing... Because the other thing he does in this that almost makes it feel surreal as well is that he lights it like it's an old black-and-white movie. He has really harsh lighting that casts these, like, giant shadows on the wall. And usually when you see, as soon as, especially when movies went to color, you would see less and less and less of that unless they, you were making like a gothic um, horror film or something like that. But the hard contrasting shadows, like you, those like totally start to fade off as the 60s wear on. Unless you're getting into like some hardcore horror shit. But it's just, it's weird how well it works in this and how beautiful it is and just all the different color lights I mean that's like goes without saying the red and the greens were just like um amped up and all that other stuff but oh yeah sorry yeah and I do like that that one scene where um was it Isabella's or some they find Isabella's diary and they um, the girl puts it in her purse and everybody notices that she puts it in her purse and then she goes out to do her catwalk thing and Bava just has that shot where, you know, um, the model goes out to the runway and she goes blur, uh, she's out of focus and then the, the purse is just right there and it's kind of the central thing um, and everybody's looking at it and it's just such a cool shot, like to just, you know, the, it was obvious that they were drawing your attention to that. And, yeah. Uh, and then when the racket clothes go by and then the purse isn't there anymore. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. like it's so clever. Like that whole bit was just great. You know, we were kind of down on some of the static shots and things like that. And however, even 
like some when the the models are standing together and some are you know getting fitted and whatever there's i can definitely see that what you're talking about with the the, the foreground background and, and things like that you know there's a, there's a ton of depth in those scenes yeah when uh, all that stuff's going on and you don't necessarily focus on what's going on in the background but you are conscious that it's there and it really does give it that 3d uh, depth reality feel to it. I mean, it always helps when you're in like a giant fucking room. Yeah, so that's, that's true. really helpful because yeah. when you're in a little tiny room, it's really hard to pull that off and make it work, look good. Although when the chick was trying to burn the diary, that room had a lot of um, foreground, mid-ground, background happening. Yeah, and I was it just going to bring up that room too. Yeah, like the whole like when she's on the couch and the killer's like digging in the fireplace and all that stuff and she's reaching for the phone well then there's like like, all sorts of action happening in that yeah and then like the two levels and then that awesome shot where basically the lights are blinking and you see him uh light up and then it goes dark and then it lights up again and he's gone that's such a cool shot (laughs) so good yeah that was really good um Real quick before I forget, I just wanted to touch on that opening sequence. It is so rare to... like I, I'm trying to think of another film in the genre that does this, but the whole idea of setting all the actors up in the movie in positions with mannequins and for their names to come up on the screen... Like I'm trying to think of another movie that does anything like that, where That's like cool. they'll like look into the camera, or it's like they're aware. It, it's almost the thing. I feel like it's like, hey, this is gonna be really grotesque, but just so you know, this is pretend. <laughs> yeah, we're all <laughs> these are the people who pretended okay. to do this. Everyone's fine. <laughs> um, but it's just it's so good. And there's that one bit where the chicks like getting strangled by the mannequin. Like, one of the chicks, like, yeah. the mannequin's hands were, like, up at her throat. It's just, like, the whole thing is just really Is there one with a skull? I feel like I saw a flash of that, too. And not to get into the trivia too quickly, but it's almost a shame that we might have missed out on that because I guess for American audiences, they kind of did a test screen and, and thought it was a big failure. So I guess there was some American versions that had, like, an animation for the opening credits. Was it animated? I didn't know that. There was yeah, there was a version of it that had an animated opening because they they thought that this mannequin one with the people looking into the camera was a big flop for audiences. But now the the versions that are available on DVD and Blu-ray nowadays have that opening. Thank God. But we almost had to get some goofy American animation. And what was it of? Like, wasn't it of mannequins anyway? I think it was. I think they had like, like bullet holes in them or some shit. Yep, maybe like some fake uh, splashes of blood or, um, I guess interpret it however you will. But yeah, it was still kind of had that grotesque. It's actually. Feel to um, it, but it just it's actually on YouTube. I found it. It's. Uh, oh, you did. Yeah, it's called the alternate U.S. opening for Blood and Black Lace. It's like a bunch of. Uh, it's just a and bunch the music's of, different too, right? Yeah, the music's different. It's like the colors and stuff, and it's just a bunch of mannequins, and I think at some point there's a skull. That's probably where you saw the skull. Oh, okay. Because I didn't see it yeah, in the uh, Italian I'm... opening credits. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting my what I saw and what I read mixed up. That happens often. <laughs> um, what 
was I going to say? Oh, the um, <clears throat> I like that the diary was red. Like that's like such a silly little point, but it's like it just like screams out because of how bright the red is in the film anyway. Mm-hmm. That like when she pulls that out of the box and starts like kind of going through it, and that's another thing that I really like about the story is that every single fucking person in that room has a reason to fucking kill this chick. And now that yeah. she has a diary of it, it's like, huh? And none, right. like, it seems like for the most part, none of them know that anyone else has a reason to kill her. And so they're like all like kind of sketching and freaking out about the whole thing. That yeah. was awesome. And, the, and then the thing that was weird, and I don't know what you guys think about this, but when the guy goes to the fancy guy's house when they're having dinner and he's like, Hey, you got to say I was with you guys because there's some dead bitch in my house and the cops are going to fucking arrest me. So, and he's like, why would I help you? And he's like, because you're a broke ass and you're a fraud and I know it and all this other shit. And then they're like, Oh shit, I guess we're in cahoots now. Like that whole thing was really brilliant. Like that was just like a smart fucking dude digging. That part was cool. The the lineup when the uh, the designer and uh, the guy with the, the epilepsy, I think it was might have been one of the or no, it was the other boyfriend. They just started screaming at each other, pointing fingers at each other. Yeah, that's kind of what I was getting at when it was like you didn't have to have a ton of backstory to these people, but that you still um, could follow it and really enjoy the plot because there was that that smoking gun, the diary. And that was enough. That's all you needed to know that these people all had their own secrets and were involved somehow. And you didn't need to know exactly what those secrets were, but you knew that they were each uh, being implicated for some reason, whether it's blackmail or having an affair. Well, as far as the two blonde girls, that was confusing. Every time I watch it, I have to, it takes me a few minutes to figure out which blonde girl's which. Oh, when they're doing, like, the hot potato with the, the diary? Well, that, and then just, like, in the very beginning, the girl runs out and talks to the guy by the tree. Oh, yeah. And I have to go, oh, is that... Uh, and then I end up putting it together. But that's the only thing I think that's confusing as far as, like, characters go. I think they looked too similar, but mm-hmm. that's just me. And, and when you I, get dubbing involved, it's all, all the voices sound the same. Well, yeah, because I think, um, for the most part, all the guys' voices were the same guy. Mm-hmm. I'll get into that a little bit later, but I don't know about the girls. But um, uh, Chris, do you have anything to add to any of that? No, I, I was um, kind of watching the the whole. I, I remember the lineup being um, something that was very memorable as well. Uh, the last couple times I watched it, and. Uh, it's uh yeah it's really interesting i mean there's no i mean you know based on the time period and you know the element of surprise uh there's there you know they don't really give you any females to be suspicious of or or, you know maybe there's a maybe there's a couple that you think twice about but for the most part all the 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 direct um suspicions are all you know the male characters and they're all in that lineup and like you said everybody well, he's really a sex maniac every, yes everybody really has a, a a motive for uh or at least 
not necessarily a motive to be a murderer, but you know, a motive to be, um, you know, to, to be suspicious, to, to be, uh, and to want that diary. Yeah, right. Exactly. And to hide to, something. Yeah. And this is, um, I guess, um, we'll kind of get into it now. Um, as we find out who the killer is, um, and this right before I touch on this, I, the fact that the chick who gets drowned in the bathtub, her name is Tao Lin, and she's clearly not Asian at all. It's like really the only thing that for me dates this movie. <clears throat> that you would have an Asian character played by a Caucasian. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> I was wondering what was going on with that name. I didn't know if that was some kind of like if she was maybe she's just fancy i don't know or in love with asian culture or some kind of culture changed her name something like that because she's a model so yeah i don't know that could be it but i yeah. just i just giggle at that mm. every time um yeah but yeah, the thing i <clears throat> i really enjoy i giggle at every time is we we're talking about the lineup and then the, another that murder happens with Taolin. Yeah. Um, or actually, no, it's the one earlier. The 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 wife of the rich guy. Yeah, she gets she gets killed now, in I was a really ask good. You guys, about this, does she when she finds the body in the trunk, does she pull it out of the trunk and try to hide it because she assumes her husband or her fiance did it? Is that what we're supposed to think, or is that just something you do? I don't know. That's a good yeah. Question. I figured. Yeah. Good question. I just figured they're all so guilty and they feel so guilty about everything. And she was present during that discussion those two men were having. So probably thinks there's, he was implicated somehow in that. Or maybe like maybe the police were, or someone was coming over and she needed to get rid of it. Or otherwise she was scared that they would accuse her of it. I'm, I'm not quite sure. I think but. it would be better off in the trunk than behind her shitty fucking hiding place but then you won't get that cool you know motion camera zoom in or or panning in on it and then uh then the body falling on top of her that's awesome up. <laughs> that was one of the <clears throat> favorite shots in the movie it's what that's it's a great shot but it's also one of those things like okay so the killer is like oh i'm gonna be funny i'm gonna play a joke on this chick i'm gonna stand this yeah. body up and then when she opens it, I'm going to push it on top of her. It's going to be so funny. Like, yeah, that's just like kind of silly. But um, I thought of it as more of like a way to demobilize her or some kind of, you know, really shock her so that he could have a chance at getting a hold of her. Yeah, no, that's true. Because when she's like on the body's not even really on top of her and she's having a really hard time getting up. Uh -huh. <laughs> she's like, oh, God, oh, no. <clears throat> um, so that, that whole thing's kind of funny. But, but she so, had black lace on, so. Look out. So and, we find out. And a pillow on her head. And a pillow on her head. <laughs> um, that when they're releasing the guys from jail, yes. um, they throw down um, this black notebook in front of uh, Max Moreland, who is the. Um, dude who's banging the countess who owns the um, fashion house or whatever. And it's the same notepad that he wrote in German 
where's the fucking diary, bitch? Which I'm sure yep, that, when that's he was the a... exact translation. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah. So all of a sudden we're like, holy shit, he is the killer. But wait, how could he be the killer if he was in jail when all this went on? Dun, dun, dun. And you get that really great line from the inspector that he gave them their alibi. I gave it to him. It is the perfect alibi. <laughs> he is German Italian accent. Yeah, he's like seriously one of the weirdest cops yep. I've ever seen in a movie. Like, Definitely. He's like, I have an alibi. I didn't ask you for one. Yeah, so I like that though. <laughs> I'm not going like, to do my job. You just hang the on. The guy looks even more guilty when he's saying, I've got an alibi. And he's like, well, you know what? I didn't even ask you for one. So makes you look real guilty by saying you have one right away. I'm arresting you for telling me that you have an alibi. (laughs) Um, So then we find out that um, while he was locked up, um, Christina was the one who was doing the nasties. She's the one who um, killed the girl at the house, the rule house with the suffocation with the butt cushion. <clears throat> and um, so uh, we have this whole like two-person kill team, um, all a scream. No, just kidding there. But um, <laughs> the reason why they were killing people anyway was because her husband um, died in a car crash, but it was no accident. She had planned for his car to crash and kill him. And Isabella knew about it, so she was blackmailing her. So they had to kill her to keep from the secret getting out. And then to make it look like there was just a murder spree going on, they started killing other people. Or was it just to get the notebook back? It was just to get the notebook back, but then they killed the other girl to get him out of jail. Mm -hmm. That makes sense now. Um, And then... Uh, Morlon, is that his name, says to his drunk wife, who's chugging the J&B, they're never going to leave us alone if they don't have a killer. So this is what you're going to do. You have to go in there because I'm being followed. I'm being shadowed. You're going to go to Tao Lin's house and kill her and make it look like a suicide and then leave her outfit, your I'm stalking people in the dark outfit, in the room so it'll look like she did all this shit or whatever whatnot so when she's out doing that and this is like my favorite scene in the movie almost because it just looks amazing with her under the water um Taolin is a very good looking model so it's just ultra pretty but she's dying so it's sad anyway while she's doing that he cuts the um drain pipe that he told her told her to climb down in case anything happened and then he starts banging on the door like he's the police she freaks out she goes out and grabs the drain pipe and falls three stories to, to her death we think <gasps> and then more lands back in the office counting pearls and being just a douchebag like yay I won I'm the best <laughs> and um and then he hears something and somehow I don't know how the fuck she did this she got around him got into the office grabbed the jewels and then went into the secret hiding place behind the bookcase 
no clue how a stumbler who was near death was able to pull this off. But anyway, it happened. And then he's like, no, baby, come on. That's not what it's like. And um, she's like, you sound like Count Chocula. And then she shot him. <laughs> and exactly what happened. <laughs> and um, the truth. Yeah. So that's how this movie was finito with the red phone swinging in the background. So how does that work for the Jalo score kill cycle? It stinks. <laughs> uh, I have to look it up because I haven't looked at it in a while. I, I think that it's important to um, to discuss the fact that again, you know, we're talking about a film from 1964, and uh, it this is a trend-setting movie. It's not certainly following any sort of formula at this point. It's making the formula, um, which would ultimately be you know mutated a bit. Um, but this is weird because, you know, we have a certain amount of uh, action that takes place after we understand who the killer is or who the killers are. Um, and that's not normal for um, yeah. the, the jolly that, uh, that, pers- that, uh, that follow uh, this film. Um, so that's an interesting one. And I, I, I wonder um, if there was a conscious effort to keep the mystery uh, a little bit more, you know, keep it longer uh, in, in subsequent movies. Um, who knows? Uh, but as far as the uh, Jala score is concerned, uh, you know, uh, you, can't even, you can't even look at the score. For this uh, and and use it as some sort of a guide for um, whether the film is an effective jalo or not because of of its place and time. I mean, it's it's got a 64 uh, on the jalo score, but um, you know a lot of the reasons why it, it has a score lower than normal is because this is again one of the films that uh, you know really started everything there aren't that many signatures we have a bathtub murder we have um, the dolls and dummies and we have the modeling and the art um, but other than that um, you know it's lost points for um, not being part of the time period the classic time period it's, it predates um, there really is no amateur detective, right? I mean, was, was anybody? I mean, it seemed like everybody that wasn't in the in, in the on the police force was a suspect. So yeah. nobody was really trying to figure out who the murderer was. They were all trying to um, do what they could to not get caught with whatever it was that they were guilty of. Um, there wasn't any nude scenes. We didn't have a Morricone or Bruno Nicolai doing the music. Um, so that's where it loses points. But again, these are all things that are established, uh, you know, post bird with the crystal plumage post Argento. Um, uh, so, you know, again, it's, it's not even really fair to talk about this movie on the Jalo score. Interestingly enough, I think the girl who knew too much gets a higher score. Let's see. Yeah. 71. So she had an airplane. 
There was an airplane, yep, there was an amateur, she was the amateur detective, so that was a big one. Um, so, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's, uh, again, you know, we, we, we can't say it enough in this podcast that this film um, is, is a landmark film in, in so many different ways for yeah. this particular genre. It's, like, it's just one of the things that comes up over and over again. And I think that, uh, you know, I, I think I wrote on, somewhere on my website, um, you know, if you were to tell somebody what to watch if they've never seen a Jallo, um, you know, probably to give somebody a really, really good sense of what the movement is all about. Maybe Bird with the Crystal Plumage is the place to start, but um, The Girl Who Knew Too Much really isn't um, a place to start. Uh, Girl Who Knew Too Much is more of a historical context when you're looking at the genre as a whole and you've already seen, you know, s several films or maybe, uh, you know, a dozen or so films. Uh, but Blood and Black Lace it should be like, you know, if you see Argento first, um, if you see Bird or if you see Deep Red first, it, the next thing you should see is this film because it really is uh, um, indicative of, of everything that everybody was trying to do with this particular type of thriller. Um, well, in that, let me just add that in that um, All the Colors in the Dark book that Tim Lucas did, um, there's a quote in there that I think is really well put. Um, the term giallo is an unusually decorative and vicious type of thriller viewed at least in part through the eyes of the killer. It reveals details of the murder rather than deduces, um, what, rather than deductions in police procedure. And I think that's like seriously such a really easy way to describe that even though I misread it. Yeah, um, definitely. It's, it's, it's just very to the point, and that's exactly what it is. Yeah, it's a, it's a more of an emotional way of dealing with a thriller, um, as as opposed to a a police procedural. I was about to try that word again, but I decided not to. As opposed to a police procedural, which is really uh, more um, concerned with the facts, concerned with you know the investigation. And there are definitely some jolly that cross that line, that blur the line. Like uh, you know, Black Belly is is one of them. Fifth Court is kind of one of them. Um, I like the ones where there's a little bit of both. I like yeah. uh, where the, where you have an amateur detective who is doing things unconventionally, but there's still a little bit of a logical you know progression in the investigation, um, as opposed to it's say like, if, like Slaughter Hotel, which if, if murder you know, which which completely had absolutely no basis and grounds for reality. You know, it was just fun. exactly. <laughs> And it's like if Murder, She Wrote was a Jalo film, Angela Lansbury would be in the movie for about three and a half minutes instead of the entire time. Right. You know, it would be everyone else except her trying to figure everything out. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It would be everyone else's shit. Except for the one episode when she went to Hollywood and they thought she killed John Saxon and arrested her. And then she had to clear her name. That's the only difference there. Classic. <laughs> Classic one. I can't foresee it. Yeah. That's a good one. First season. 
Awesome. Good stuff. Yeah, and getting getting back to like the keeping the killer shrouded in mystery till the very end. Um, I felt like that happened a lot in, in later Giallos as well, like you were saying. Almost to the point of idiocy where it's they're just throwing stuff in there, throwing wrenches and all kinds of tools just to discompobulate you. Uh, whereas in this one, uh, earlier on, you know, this these early thrillers, they plant the seed right away when uh, the inspector is introduced and he kind of brings up uh, Christina's uh, husband's death. We had that before. Yeah. Yeah, you get, <laughs> you get that seed of doubt. And then it just kind of goes away for a little while. They start um, implicating other people that might be involved in this. And then when it comes back to you, you're like, oh, duh, you know, I should have been following this the whole way, uh, that it was Christina the whole time. And, and I swear to God, if you were to go into the actual dress designer's house, I'm sure you'd find a body in it. <laughs> it might well, for unrelated reasons. Unrelated reasons. There would be a body in there. Yeah, that, that guy's kind of a psycho. I see Creepy three. Peter Lorre's weird cousin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I seem to remember. Yeah, that's why. That's. Oh, sorry. That's ahead. just why I love this movie so much. Just because it it it's smart. It follows the plot. It doesn't just throw something in at the very end. Um, some person you saw for maybe thirty seconds earlier on in the film, and then shoehorn a, an explanation in there. It it all makes sense. It's all pretty smart. Yeah. And that's that's and it's they did it in 1964, but then they kind of lost their way as they moved on and tried to get more and more towards hiding that reveal until the last 30 seconds or something like that. So it's not its not like Happy Birthday to me. No. Ooh. Or um, Perversion Story. No, that's true. That was only a couple years later. Six, yeah. Five years later. And the red mannequins are gorgeous. They are. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so, I'm surprised yeah, no. that uh, we haven't talked enough about what people were wearing in this movie because I figured that would be something that you'd well, bring up. The thing is, is that it was a fashion house and stuff and all that other crap, but um, none of the outfits were really that great. The towel lint had a couple neat little things she had on. The red, but, the red jacket um, in the beginning, right? There's that, and then when she said, when she comes into his office and she's like, I need to go to Paris for a few days. I can't handle being here anymore. And he's like, where do you live? Yeah, okay, you could go. That's fine. The little, like, wrap jacket thing she had on was awesome. But the, the thing about this is that everyone in this movie is kind of, sort of gorgeous. So right. it's like, everyone looks great. Everyone is kind of standing out, but when you have a bunch of people who stand out all in the same room together, none of them stand out. You see what I'm saying? Kind of like us. Yeah. We got a podcast. Yeah. You can see what you're saying. There's not the sore thumb, you know, like when Edwidge looks amazing and she's in a scene with a bunch of cretins. It's like, <laughs> wow, she looks amazing, and it's like she has a like a geographical monopoly of the shot, you know, of being a hot chick. But when there's... That's like five dolls. Yeah. Yeah. You know? There's a pretty girl or two in there. Yeah, there are. There are. But she looks over the top in it. Yeah. All right. I mean, the sets are 
But that's the other thing about this, though. The outfits are amazing. The sets are amazing. Everything is vivid. Everything. It's just like sensory overload on yeah, this. You can't narrow down one thing. or You could, but they'd be here all day. Yeah. No one wants that. Maybe. Chris is snowed in. He has nothing else to do. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so do you guys have any, like, kind of background or trivia kind of stuff? I know we've touched little bits of it. Um, I, I saw something, but then it didn't make sense with uh, Cameron Mitchell being in the movie and, and others. It said that Peggy was the only American speaker on the set. So maybe this was when Cameron Mitchell wasn't there. But uh, it said that she wrote most of the English dialogue for the film. And because uh, they they did that whole double production on this one, this is one of those where they did the English and then they did the the Italian dialogue. I heard that that's not true. Yeah. Ooh. Uh, is that BS? Um, what do you? Uh, this is getting little fifteen year olds going on IMDb and lying to me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just heard that there was a report when the movie was being shot that they shot it in Italian, American, and German, and yeah. doing the scenes like over and over like that but then in interviewing the cast the cast said the script was always in english but the guy who wrote it didn't speak english fluently and it was like really bad english so everyone had to do all their lines in english and then they were just going to dub it later or whatever but um the girl who played peggy had to rewrite the dialogue to make it coherent Okay. Because it was apparently really, like, it almost, like, didn't even make sense. Like, they were all English words, but they were all fucked up and backwards. So she had to rewrite all that stuff. Sure. Yeah. I was going to listen to this, or I was going to watch the movie this time with the, I have a DVD with Tim Lucas actually doing commentary. Ooh. I usually don't watch films with commentary on it, but I was going to do it for this one, and I just, I chickened out. Oh, man. Because I wanted to be able to pay attention to the story and, and the the dialogue again that would have been neat you would have been the yeah. hell of the ball i know instead i'm coming here with misinformation all over the place <laughs> like usual um but. well it was shot in rome during the winter of 1964 3 1964 for six weeks for a hundred and fifty thousand dollars Ooh, i could do that yeah not really. Yep. Wow. Um, do you have any other stuff? I have a few things here. Um, I'm trying to think back on when I covered this for the show. Um, one thing that sticks out that I thought was kind of funny is Cameron Mitchell. He's like this hunky leading American actor from the 40s and 50s. He played the, the character of Max, the, the main bad guy. Um, the characters Cameron and Mitchell on Modern Family took their names from him. <gasps> the the gay the gay couple on Modern Family who, who adopt the kid. Hmm. So just a fun fact if you're a fan of that show. Okay. Um, Interesting. Eva Bartok who played Christina, she's a Hungarian actress and she retired in 1967, so just a few years after this um, after she about with ovarian cancer uh, caused her to see the light of the Indonesian um, I guess religion or or, uh, I don't know. I don't know exactly what it is, but uh, she 
she started following this this uh, new cult. wave kind of thing going on. I didn't want to say cult, but <laughs> <laughs> so she she kind of went off on on her own, doing her own deals. But uh, she was also pretty popular in, in Hollywood during the 40s and 50s and early 60s because of all she she was involved with a lot of American um, big name people who were trying to get there out of Hungary because of the the communist regime and, and stuff that was going on there that's really all I got I also heard that she wasn't thrilled about this movie and she felt like she had reached a certain age where there weren't any good roles for her anymore in Hollywood. And she had to just take the work that she could get, but really was unhappy about her later films. Yeah, she'd really kind of stopped doing a lot of films in the 50s, and she only did, she was very sparse in, in the roles she took in the 60s. But yeah, this. That was all, all after she had the cancer. And so I guess it was just, yeah, she, she she was trying to find that love again, and she was failing, I suppose. Mm. Um, as far as uh, the dubbing goes, most of the males were done by a guy named Paul Fries, um, who did a lot of voiceover stuff. He was the narrator in War of the Worlds, and he also is the guy who does the voice for the Haunted Mansion at Disneyland. Oh, wow. So that's kind of fun. Um, mm-hmm. it, when the Freedom of Information Act happened, some documents came out that said during the 60s he was an undercover narcotics agent for the government. So um, him being the inspector in the film was very realistic because apparently yeah. he knew how to how to shake a fucker down. All right, that sounds great. Yeah. I didn't ask you for your lie. You were talking about how the it was such a low budget, they didn't have a dolly, and on the tracking shots, they had to pull the camera in a little red wagon. Um, they also didn't have a crane, so what they would do is they would just set up a seesaw and sit a bunch of fuckers down on one side of it and then have them get off wow. one at a time. <laughs> That's awesome. hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> to make the camera move. So yeah, see, this is super fancy Mario Bava stuff here. Um, all of the... Um, scenes where they would have fighting and they would need to have stunt doubles in all the actors on the movie wanted to do their own stunts and Baba didn't like actors doing their own stunts because they could usually do it but they would never like land right and would always look a little fake at the end so he would go in and shoot um, a master shot of the whole scene with um, real stunt people um, I guess before the actors would come to set and then when the actors would get there, he would just shoot it all super close up to get like their facial expressions and stuff. And then say, oh no, we got it. Everything's great. We, oh, this looks amazing. Let's go ahead and move on. Um, so that's kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when Greta opened the trunk and found Peggy in the back, um, there was a thing in the trunk to where when she opened it up, it was supposed to click. 
and then it would stay up because and then Peggy like kind of falls out like her head falls out of the trunk or whatever. Well, when they were doing this, um, the girl playing Greta got too excited or something and didn't let it click. And the trunk came down and slammed into Peggy's face and hit her on the nose. And they had to stop shooting for a while. And apparently Mario Bava um, took her and held her and put an ice thing on her face until she had calmed down because she was really upset. And she said that it was the most dangerous film she's ever worked on. And this interview was like years and years later. And she said she still has a scar on her nose from it. To this Dawn. Yeah, I think I, I think I did read that. Poor girl. Yeah. You never want stuff like that to happen on a film set. No. She's not unionized. She's not immunized. Like she needs her shots. No, she probably wasn't that that either. But I said unionized. Oh, unionized. Yes, probably. Maybe she was in a union. She could get immunized. Yeah. She needs Obamacare. Yep. (laughs) Well, um, in Italy, this movie was called Six Women for the Murderer. And it didn't get its super fun and cool Blood and Black Lace title until it was released in America. That's what the distributors named it, which I think is a very good title, by the way. Yeah. Um, Six Women for the Murderer sounds poop. Just to say it. They try it with that in America? And then they. I don't know if they tried it with that or not. Uh, But it was the working title of it, what it was shot under, was Fashion House of Death. Which is a little bit better than Six Women for the Murderer. Um, And then in Germany, it was released as Bloody Velvet. And in Austria, it was released as Strangler with the Mask. Nice. It's a crappy (laughs) title. But um, audience member with the popcorn. Audience member with the popcorn? That would be like the, the name of the person who went to see. What was it called? The Strangler with the Mask? Strangler with the Mask. Um, basically, observant title giver. Yes. Is the person who named it. Um, but yeah. And then um, Carlo Rusticelli is the guy who created the amazing bossa nova score that we hear and apparently as the movie goes as it starts out it's like real big band and tons of awesome stuff happening and then as people start getting killed i think this is how i read it as people start getting killed he was removing an instrument from the theme until the very end and it's just like like one thing playing or something I don't That's know awesome. how legit that is. I didn't have research that as far as no, listening. I think that main theme is more of like a more subdued. That main theme is more like a cha-cha, isn't it? A tango. Yeah. All I don't right. know. Let, let's watch Dancing with the Stars or Strictly Come Dancing and figure it out. <laughs> okay. No. Okay. I'll do that. All right. Did you no, did you ever mention the, uh, the 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 Denmark title? Look at no, I did not. <laughs> what is Red Knights, Red Knights of the Iron Hand. Ooh, that's they were using challenging. 
I guess in in relation to that one weapon that he used, that medieval. Oh yes, claw thing. But I don't know what the fuck you would use that for, other than like, oh, we need to move that log in the fire. Use the crazy claw <laughs> hand. I just thought it was a torture device. <laughs> it could be. It probably iron, iron hand of death. Yeah. All right. Pajamas. <laughs> Look at her dancing. Uh. Why is that playing underneath of our discussion right now? <laughs> I don't know. Is it? I don't know. I, oh, because I said Strictly Come Dancing. And um, I always forget <laughs> how that the theme song for that goes. And so uh, somehow or another, I ended up doing Strictly Come Dancing. Deadly Come Strictly. Strictly Come Dancing. <laughs> but it's that Amanda Lear song. And it took we me a while pitch that to, to them. get that together. Yeah, especially yeah. with me singing it just like that. Um, so right. four people who watch Strictly Come Dancing will go, oh my gosh, this is a riot. And they'll really <laughs> enjoy this part of the episode. But everyone else will be like, yeah, whatever, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. So, um, yeah. You have to have a, 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 a sub-genre of people, a, sub, a subclass of people who are already a subclass of people who like Giallo, who also watch this particular show. Yeah, I could whittle down a fan base to one person in a matter of minutes. <laughs> and it's usually just you. I'm pretty good at it. So, good. Oh, wait, how's it? Nice to see you. To see you nice. No? Right. Uh, yeah. I'll probably stop with the um, Strictly references from now on. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. For our sake. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I don't know if we want to keep going on this, but um, what is the next movie we're doing? I can't I think, remember. I think we're doing um, the Blade. son. I think we're doing the son of Mario Baba next. Yep. It's Baba Month on Giallo Chao Chao. <laughs> it's Baba. Doesn't month. matter which Baba you are. If you're a Baba, you're gonna get done. Mm-hmm. All right. So, and hey, if there's any cinephiles out there, people who are obsessive collectors of film, um, Blood and Black Lace is getting a Blu-ray treatment from Arrow Video over in our friendly, the friendly UK. So I guess it's going to be packed to the brim with features. I'm going to have to, this will be the first time I've ever really doubled down to get a Blu-ray yeah. from a DVD that I own. I don't know if I'm, I'm still going to have to weigh it. Because I, I just have always been kind of really against that. I'm really curious as to what it'll look like on Blu-ray. Right. Exactly. So I'm assuming it'll saying. look better, but there's so many movies that like I've gotten the Blu-ray for that look like shit with yeah. the Blu-ray transfer. Like everything's too like lit up. Like Blood Feast. Yeah. Is that, that really shit on Blu-ray? It doesn't seem like a movie you would want on Blu-ray. Uh, yeah, I was going to say that. I made that. the mistake because I, I didn't own it, so I'm like, well, I'll, I'll just get it on Blu-ray since that's the best available transfer of it. <laughs> that was before I was wise to When's Greeny Sister VHS Grand House. Blu-ray? What's that? When does Sister Versala come out on Blu-ray? <laughs> I don't know. That's a good point. Maybe we should... Uh, come on, Pedro. Get on that. <laughs> yeah. 
So let Eric I, do the commentary for it. I have a question, and maybe you guys can answer it, or maybe we need somebody from across the pond to answer. But um, the the Blu-rays that Arrow puts out, can Americans play them? Is there region issues with Blu-ray, or is that just DVD? Does anybody know? Uh, that's still no. It's still still pretty. Up. Yeah, you got to get an all region player, which are actually getting cheaper and cheaper, like every month almost. So I was actually able to nab one really. I mean, in America for like under. It was probably right around a hundred bucks. So I you, love how Arrow puts their stuff, which up. is. But there's no Arrow um, is coming over to America this year. Oh, oh are they? they? Cool. Yep. So I don't know if girl or I don't know if Blood and Black play. This will be one of their double releases. But I know that they are. They did do a Kickstarter last year, and it got, got funded. So they'll be doing a lot of American releases starting in 2015. Oh, my God, that's awesome. Like, I love how they do, like, the new artwork for stuff. Yeah. But it still looks good, like old artwork. It doesn't... Yeah, they get, and they give you the reversible sleeve off. Yeah. Option too, which so is cool. Special. I enjoy it. So what is it then? Did I read something about, maybe it was the difference between PAL and NTSC that's not really an issue anymore? Or is that, like if you were to have an all-region... That's um, an issue at my house. If if you were to have an (laughs) all-region Blu-ray player and you got um, uh, an Arrow Blu-ray from the UK, I guess it would work, right? It would play... You wouldn't need yeah. to trans. You wouldn't need to transform the signal from NTSC to PAL or something, because I know that was the an yeah. issue with laser discs and with uh, DVDs. Yeah, I had I had more problems with the DV, with DVDs from the United Kingdom, or I call it the United Kingdom. <laughs> you can. Oh, uh, Great Britain, England, whatever they're called now. I don't know how that boat went. <laughs> whatever down. they're called now. <laughs> It wouldn't be a but, podcast. Uh, the DVDs give me a lot more trouble. <laughs> um, but there are actual codes that you can put in, which I didn't even realize that it can like hack the the DVD player. And that so fucked that you can my play. DVD player up. And or that's my minus... Blu-ray player actually fucked it up. Did it? Yeah. I guess you could you could always do the restore the. You could do it on your settings computer, or whatever. but I think on your computer you could only change it three times, or at least on my PC, that's what it was. You could change it from NTSC to PAL like three times, and then whatever the third conversion was, that's what it's going to stay at forever, mm. which mm. is dangerous and stupid. I don't know why they would do that. <laughs> Come on, we're this living in been... the world of the Euro. Let's all just come together in one world government, a new world yes. order, brother. <laughs> new world organization. Uh, now, do you guys want me to attempt to play the Blade in the Dark trailer before we go? Yeah. yeah uh, I don't want to talk about technology anymore. And, I'm and like an idiot. It'll be, the, it'll be the one that I found on YouTube that's three minutes long. Is, is this going to happen? Uh, I can I can try it right now. Do you want to? Um, are we saying you know? Because typically the the uh, the formula is we say goodbye and then play it. Um, but yeah. maybe we could change. We it actually up. say ciao. We say ciao, and right, of course. But since we're going to listen to it live, should we play it and then say ciao? What would you guys like to do? 
I would I like to, to play bed. half of it, pause it, say ciao, play the second half of it. Oh, and now this is getting way too confusing. No, ciao, right. ciao, everybody. <laughs> ciao, ciao. What are you working on now? Linda? 